Welcome to 21st Century Boys. I am going to forget the episode number. I meant to look this up. I do this every stinking time. So this is going to be one of those origin episodes. We had one last go around with our friend Rob. I don't, I always forget how Mike says it. it looks like Krieger, sounds like Rieger. I don't know. It rhymes with Seeger. Anyway, we've got Paul Tester on today. Uh, Paul is a friend of mine who I want to say I met online through Valiant maybe or post or post Valiant. I don't remember which one it was, but it was definitely right when COVID was hitting and everybody was uh, shutting down stores. Um, Paul, what do you remember about when we first started talking? <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was around then. I, you know, I was trying to remember the other day too, cause I met so many people from doing a Valiant podcast, but that kind of right. dried up before COVID. And I dinked around doing some, some other stuff, trying to just have fun podcasting still. And it just, um, I lost track of how I knew people, but I think that because I knew, you know, Mike Myers, his Valiant podcast, with Chris and Daryl was the podcast that actually got me and Martin starting to do the our Valley podcast because we just we loved it and wanted to do something too. Um, right. So it's probably just from that group slowly expanding and getting to know Rob and then you and then Kirk and um, it probably just kind of trickled that way. Basically, that's that's my best recollection. I remember you were selling slash basically giving away a bunch of books. I don't remember how cheap you got them. It was like crazy cheap because it was like a store closing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My comic shop closed right before COVID. He right. chose to close because uh, he had decided when he opened it that if he wasn't making enough to make a living after two years, I think it was, maybe it was longer mm-hmm. than two years, uh, but he decided that he was going to gonna close up shop and move on to something else. And I believe he's still actually working in, you know, uh, tangentially in comics, like in, in like kind of the high end selling side for like, uh, some company or something. Right. Um, yeah. So he decided to close up shop and he was selling long boxes of comics. You just grab a long box, fill it with whatever he had in the shop, basically, uh, at that point for like 20 bucks or something like that. So I went in, (laughs) what happened is I went in and he didn't have much left, but I bought a box. I'm just like, whatever. I basically just crammed just about everything he had left to that point in the box because I was like, there's enough in here that I'll enjoy. And then like, I'll, I can always find friends that'll want to grab some comics for cheap. Right. And then I left. And as I, right after I got home, he messaged me. Oh no, I remember I was still at the shop. He got a call. Somebody wanted to bring him some comics. Mm-hmm. So I said, message me when they get here. As soon as I got home, he messaged me. I jumped back in my truck and went back. The guy had dropped off like eight or 12 long boxes of a bunch of, of old Marvel comics. Right. And I bought, I think, like five or six long boxes from him. And then because I bought so many and it was so cheap, I was able to to just sell comics for next to nothing to whoever. And that's probably how we met. I and think it was. How I, like to deal. I, li- I like to deal. So if I'm going to sell stuff to people, I want it to be cheap enough that you're ecstatic about the deal and I make a little bit off of it. And then there's just no risk of anybody being unhappy basically. Right. And um, yeah, I, I was able to add, I think over a hundred comics to my X-Men run and I made a profit off of it. Like I, That's I awesome. added to my collection and made money um, and it was selling stuff to people just for, for nothing. So it was pretty cool. It's, it's always fun. Yeah. I think the Micronauts was either the first or second order and Spidey was the other order because it was because those were the two that I remember getting from you right off the bat because I it was almost complete Micronauts because you're like what do you need 
And I was like, okay, these are what I got. And you're like, I got all this except one. So I think it was everything except for like Captain Universe's first appearance. I don't know why anybody cares about that, but whatever. So like, I think he sold everything but the Captain Universe one. And, and yeah, we got all those. And it was, I mean, yeah, you gave them to, you basically gave them to me. I think I, I paid you shipping and, and a pittance. It was, it was next to nothing. And, yeah. Um, it's funny now because, uh, like, Kristen will, will look when, like, something pops up because we've been doing the, um, oh, what's the guy's name where you budget everything and you're, because you're, we're working to get all the credit cards paid off and everything. And anyway, we have a tracker. And so when it pops up and it'll, it'll have PayPal on it. She'll say, is, is that the kids or Paul? I was like, it's not the kids, that's Paul. Cause she'll, she'll know, she'll know that's, that's pretty much like something that's come through down the pike that, uh, you gave me a, a really good deal on. Yeah, that's how I roll. Make it easy, make it fun. <laughs> so on this show, the way we usually do this, we usually talk about kind of like, I was telling a friend at work that it was going to podcast tonight and I basically described it as what's the origin of your love of fill in the blank. So typically we deal mostly with comics uh, on the show. Cause this is basically a comic podcast, but I know you and I especially have historically had an interest in some other uh, kind of venues of pop culture that we might scoot down if we have the time, but mm-hmm. starting off with comics. First off, do you remember what your first book was? Yeah, because I was a teenager. I didn't read comics as a kid. I hated them. Okay. Um, I my cousin liked comics. I I mean, hate might be strong. Like I was interested in the characters and stuff, but I remember trying to read comics as a kid at my cousin's house and just being like, "This is stupid. This is laid out so poorly. Like, what? <laughs> this is hard to read. Just give me a book." Right. Because um, you you like reading novels and fiction and nonfiction and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that right. You're a reader besides just graphic stuff. Yeah, and that's actually when I got into comics, when it kind of stuck, it was because of a, a list of novels. I'll okay. get to, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll let it come up naturally. But sure. um, when I started getting my first comics was when I was probably like, a, I think, a senior, a senior in high school. Um, and I discovered Kevin Smith movies. A friend, um, one of my, my cousin's friends, my cousin's a little bit older, so he was out of high school. And he was doing, um, he's, he's always been in the theater. He has actually a, uh, I think a master's degree in acting. Um, but he was doing his own play. He like, he, he wrote a series of one act plays and was putting it on with his friends, you know, renting a venue, yada, yada, doing the whole nine yards. So one of his friends introduced me to Kevin Smith movies. And because of that, uh, I, it goes back a long ways, I guess, but, uh, when I tend when I get into something, I tend to get deep. Like I want to know as much as I can, experience as much as I can. So when I enjoyed Kevin Smith movies a lot, I wanted to enjoy what else there was to enjoy. Sure. So I started checking out his comics, and it was that was right when his run on Green Arrow started. Okay. So I was I was getting that from issue number one, um, and then I got his run on Daredevil, and that was obviously back before eBay and stuff. Um, right. And so I had, there was a comic shop in town. I remember, uh, by this time I was, uh, I got, I must have been out of high school actually at this point. Um, so like right out of high school though. And I was going to community colleges across town. I think it was like eight miles away from where I lived with my aunt and uncle at the time. And one day for one class each week, it was an evening class. I would ride my bike all the way across town to go to school. 
uh, at the college and then ride back. And I passed by that comic shop. So I would go in there to get, you know, my, I got a, I, gosh, I, I don't even think I had a subscription. I think I just kept on dropping by and picking up the new issues of comics. Cause especially back then it's like retail was totally different. So they actually just had stuff on the shelf rather than you had to subscribe to have a chance to get it, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I, I got all the back issues of Daredevil, um, including like the, the first issue, the one half issue, stuff like that. Like, you know, the kind of wall books, um, even though they weren't like very expensive wall books, not like I could have, expo- uh, you know, afforded that much back then. Right. But, um, yeah. And then I, you know, found some of his, uh, comic books that were from his, you know, view universe, stuff like that. So like, that was kind of my first foray into comics is I got a bunch of Kevin Smith stuff. And the Green Arrow stuff is what stands out to me because Phil Hester's covers for those mm-hmm. were fantastic. Yeah. He's really and, you know, the interior art still, you know, and this goes back to when I was a kid. Like, as a kid, I was I was not impressed with the interior art in comics. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, probably the 90s, which, you know, going back and having collected at one point the whole run of X-Men. Plus, I collected the whole run of VH1 Valiant at one point. Right. Um. Art was not as good back then, you know? Yeah, I mean, there it's, was it's definitely art. a different yeah. breed of, of artists, yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, you had good stuff, but uh, the, I guess the most mainstream stuff, like it, it got lazy uh, for mm-hmm. a period of time. You know, it was the easy stuff and it got, it just felt like it got sloppy. If you go back earlier, there was more work involved because they were more limited. And the, in my opinion, the, the worst was when you got into the early 2000s. Um, and you had a lot of, um, computer graphic stuff before that right. had developed. So it's just really, really like taking the easy way out on stuff. But, um, anyways, uh, I, I basically like I got into that for a while, then I got kind of tired of it. I sold all those comics as a lot on eBay. That was the first time I ever used eBay. And I was done with comics. Gotcha. Okay. And then jump years later, uh, a few years later, I guess, uh, so let's say I was probably like 18 during that first foray. I met my wife, or I should say I started dating my wife when I was 22. So after that, uh, when I started dating her is when I got, I was always a reader, but I got heavy back into reading because she's not only a heavy reader, but she's a natural speed reader. Mm-hmm. She just flies through books. It's absurd and disgusting. Um, <laughs> so jealous. But um, we were reading through so many books. We had one year. There used to be a website that we used called 43 Things. and You'd make a bunch of goals for yourself. Okay. And we would make goals of like how many books we're going to read in a year and stuff like that. And then you would, it's basically like a, you'd blog about it basically, but it okay. gave a nice structure to it. Mm-hmm. And then it partnered with, uh, with other websites in the same family. Um, and one was lists of best. So you could like actually find lists and check stuff off as you went. It was, it was kind of cool. And we found one that was a list of the hundred best, uh, novels of the 20th century by Time magazine. Okay. And one of the books on there was Watchmen. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And I, I put that off. I'm like, I don't want to read a comic. I don't want to read a comic. And finally, uh, we used to live at this point right across the street from a bookstore called Borders that closed down, um, I think before we even left California. Um, and they always had coupons for like 30, 40% off each week that you get in your email, you know, especially and, towards the end of their lifespan. I think they were really pumping those out. Yeah. Exactly. I remember that. It, it, when it, any company puts those out quickly, you know that they're about to go under. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, so finally we got that because I was like, all right, fine, we'll get it. And reading that is what got me more into comics because there was such another layer to that and such so much more depth to that than reading just, you know, run of the mill comics. And that's Um, a dense read too. You can't read that book fast. 
I mean, my son is like a speed reader and Jack is as fast of a reader as he is. I mean, he, it took him a few days to read Watchmen and, you know, yeah. I, I can't even remember how long it took me last time, probably close to three or four days. Yeah. And you got to be working hard to read it that fast too. Cause I mean, there's a lot yeah, of prose in it. There's, I yep. mean, it's a dense, it's a dense, dense read. Yep. Um, but so reading that, I was like, okay, that, that was good. That was different than what I expected. What else can I check out? Right. I didn't really know what to get. I didn't have friends that read comics, really. I had a friend that I think by that point, I wasn't really in touch with him too much anymore. He pissed me off at one point, um, and I just kind of faded away. But I, re- I remembered him reading The Sandman. Okay. So I was like, all right, I'll check that out, because that was definitely different, and I didn't want to read superhero stuff. Sure. I just It didn't interest me at that time. So I started getting the trades of The Sandman, and I liked that a lot. And I ended up reading, I, I collected most of the trades, and right as I was getting to the end, we were getting ready to move to Maine, so we were trying to get rid of stuff. Right. And I had somebody that I worked with in California that loved the Sandman, and she had had the collection of all the graphic novels, but um, I believe they had been stolen. Um, I know she didn't have them anymore, either they were stolen or they were like destroyed in a fire or something like that, I can't remember exactly, but mm. um, so I told her, if you buy me the last couple volumes, I'll give these all to you. Nice. So that way I can finish reading it, but um, but also I don't have to take these cross country with me, and it benefits you a lot more, you know, financially. So she did that. I read the rest of it, gave them all to her, and in the course of that, I had read a couple other things. Like I think I read uh, The Dark Knight because, um, you know, that stood out as different than traditional superhero comics. I kind of started, you know, dipping my toes into something that was superheroes at least, and yeah, um, you know, a little other stuff here and there. I can't remember uh, V for Vendetta, um. I remember trying to read From Hell and I hated it. Uh, it was just too, um, too, uh, gratuitous. Okay, sure. For me. Um, the art's really raw in that one too. Yeah, it's raw I, and it's just, I mean, I, I remember there was, uh, like explicit depiction of sex in it. And that was yes. like when it was, you know, it, that raw, like there was nothing pleasantly sexual about it. It was just no. yep. dirty and raw. Yep. Um, but I was just like, yeah, I just don't think this is for me. Um, so I ended up, I think I actually returned that book. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what else I read then, but we moved to Maine when I got out to Maine and this is, I think 12 years ago this year, um, May was when we got out here, if I remember correctly. Uh, the, I transferred at my job and the, the store I took over was in bad shape. It was super, super stressful. So I couldn't really focus super well to read. Like I, I remember reading some novels and, you know, whatnot when I moved out here, but that kind of tapered off as like that stress and anxiety just took over. Yeah. Um, so I needed something that was a little bit easier to enjoy and take my mind off of it. Mm-hmm. And so I started leaning into comics a little bit. And that was right when uh, the new 50, a little bit after the new 52 launched. So, so the like only 2011, era. 2012. Yep. Yeah. Okay. 12 years ago, be 2011. That was the year we moved out here. Um, we got settled in our impart- apartment just in time for me to watch the Bruins win the Stanley Cup. Nice. Um, so I got me. That, I'll say you're that a Boston year, fan, right? Um, just just hockey. Um, okay. A Kings fan also. That was the the year I moved. Was the year that I got into hockey because a friend took me to a preseason Kings game and it was just so much fun. Sure. Um, so I started following hockey that year and Bruins won that year. The Kings won the next year. They both went as far as they could without winning the year after that, and the Kings won again the year after that. So I had, you know, a few great years being a hockey fan. Right. Um, but anyways, that year uh, I started going to – there was 
the, the store I managed was in a mall and across the street from the mall was a, a store called Newberry Comics that had started as a comic store, but it had kind of grown into being kind of pop culture store. So they had comics, but they had music. They had a lot of, uh, you know, pop culture, just whatever pop was popular, basically, you know, toys sure. and clothes and uh, kind of like hot topic, but bigger and nerdier, you know? Right. Um, so I started going there to get comics and uh, I was getting a couple different Batman titles because that's what I had read. And I didn't really go beyond that. And then after a little bit, I started getting X-Men because that was the only other kind of superhero thing that I remembered watching the 90s X-Men cartoon. And so I was like, OK, I'll check this out. So I was reading the X-Men um, and that was like right when they relaunched uh, Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men. Uh, so like, you know, Cyclops and Wolverine split off. So that was kind of a cool time to start reading that. I remember enjoying reading that quite a bit. And then we moved, uh, like not super far away, but we moved a little bit further away. And my wife, like I was still working in the same store and my, my wife worked in downtown Portland and a local comic shop that I had never even been to yet. Uh, was having a sale and she's always been big. I mean, she's from Maine. So like, you know, big on supporting local. So sure. she told me about it and she's like, you should go get some comics. So I go into that comic shop. It's called Coast City Comics. Uh, they're still in Portland. They're an awesome store. So if anybody ever comes out here, I highly suggest checking them out. But I go in there and I, you know, look around a little bit and they were having a buy one, get one free, I think on back issues. It was like right before Christmas. And I go in, I look around for a little bit. I'm like, I want to get something. I don't know what I said, you know, I'm reading like Batman and X-Men, but I want something that's different because I've never read anything different really, you know? Sure. So they're showing me a few things. I ended up, that's when I discovered Valiant. It was, you know, right after they relaunched Valiant. So okay, I got, so, uh, so like, uh, the, the, the new, iter- the new iteration. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this was, uh, within the year of them relaunching it, I think they, okay. they had only four titles out at that point. And I got um, some issues of Archer and Armstrong and Bloodshot. Okay. Because those were the ones that stood out to me. And then they also were like, oh, and there's also this Ninja Turtle comic that just started coming out. So I was to relaunch Ninja Turtles with IDW. Nice. And um, so I, I got some of those. I think with the Ninja Turtles, like the the first few issues already were like, you know, long gone because, you know, Ninja Turtles, bigger property. But sure. I got everything I could. And I, I loved all of, all three of those books. So... Like with uh, Bloodshot and Arjun Armstrong, I think I just got some, and I went back and bought the rest of what they had. Okay. Um, I don't think I had delved into Harbinger and uh, Exo yet. Right. But it wasn't that long after that that I was like, this stuff is good. I want to. I might as well just like read these other ones. And then they added um, what was next? I think it was um, Quantum and Woody was next. And you know, as they added titles on, I just ended up like going all in on Valiant and getting everything that they had. So can I ask you a question uh, yeah. here? One thing I found confusing when I had left comics, the variant covers were not really a thing. With you coming in fresh, uh, was that something that was confusing to you? Or Because I know Valiant did variant covers, and X-Men, I'm surely, was doing variant covers by then. Did that confuse you at all when you were back issue diving? Did you ever make it home with doubles or did you get it right away? No, I, I just followed the numbering basically. Okay. I mean, when I was a, a kid, I collected sports cards. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was used to like, you know, organizing sports cards and like understanding like, you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't think you ran into that a whole lot with sports cards, but every once in a while you'd run into like 
basketball was the worst where the the year for basketball sets of cards would be like 96 97 97 98 and right. then both sets would be like 97 on the back because that's that, that was the year that they were made right you know something like that so like that could be confusing you'd have to figure out what year was what sometimes um but it just you know it I, it may have been because I had never really experienced otherwise anyways, because my first little foray into comics was not very big. Right. Um, but it, it didn't phase me too much. Um, okay. also I would say that there's a good chance that I didn't come across many variants at that point because, um, you had to order enough to get the variants. And I doubt that the shops I went to were ordering enough of those books to get the variants. Got it. Um, okay. Newbury might've been with the Batman and stuff, but probably that stuff was just long gone before I ever came across it, you know? I remember getting home from my first real foray into the cheapy bins uh, as an adult, and I'd have, like, three copies. I'm like, ooh, I want to get all these whatever it was. I think it was Dr. Solar's what's popping into my head because I was an <laughs> old-school Valiant fan. And I get home, it's the, I've got, like, six issues, but I only actually have two issues worth of material because <laughs> I, I, I wasn't used to all these variant covers. I was like, what the crap? So, you know, because you're trying to do, at least I was back then, quarter bins as fast as possible because, you know, when they have those big sales, sometimes it gets really crazy in there with people digging around in them. And I was just like, ooh, Dr. Seller, these are all different covers. I just grabbed them on there and get home like, dang it, man. I just spent like 50 cents, whatever, you know, so (laughs) three bucks and I only actually have two issues to show for it, but. Yeah, which I guess isn't that bad when you look at it, but no, uh, it's not. Yeah, but was, I'm like, Dynamite was even worse with the variants. That was oh, Dynamite God. had Solar at that time, and man, they just put out a million variant covers for everything. How the did worst you was like it, their Solar? Just out of curiosity, it was it was an okay read. Like uh, that's all I really remember. I, I yeah. did get some of their versions of the Gold Key stuff, and it was it was a fine read, but I didn't stick with it. Same. Um, I you know I stuck more with Valiant, and I that's when I because I was really enjoying Valiant and I definitely have a compulsive nature to collect. Um, I started going back and getting the VH1 books. And I did that mm-hmm. because the same comic shop I mentioned, Coast City Comics, they did have a small area of quarter bins and talking with the owner there. He's like, yeah, these aren't even worth their, um, what they make in retail space, but sure. it's just a fun thing for people to do. It's like, that's what's so cool about that shop is he understands that it's not always just about the bottom line of squeezing as much money as you can out of everything. You make a shop that people like passionately want to go to, but with some of the things that don't necessarily make you as much money as you could, you know? So having quarter bins is a draw and really ex- uh, you know, exciting for a lot of people to look at. Um, you know, this is going back quite a ways. I don't, I don't think you find quarter bins too much anymore. It'd be my guess. No. Like dollar bins is probably the best you get. That's usually um, what I see. Yeah, I got hundreds of VH1 Valiant books from his quarter bins. And then when I cleared them out, I was like, oh, I got everything I can. He's like, well, I have long boxes in the basement. And I'll like those, you know, they're, you know, kept nicer in bags and boards and stuff. So he's like, those I'll sell you for a buck a pop. And then like, you know, if you get a big chunk, I'll just knock some off. So I got a ton of Valiant stuff from him. And then eventually he actually had a flood in his basement that destroyed a lot of his comics. So um, that that's what capped that off and ended me trying to you know build from what he had. But I definitely got a lot of really good deals from that. Um, and I built up the the VH1 Valiant run was over 600 books, and I ended up collecting the whole run. And I had uh, a chunk of VH2, um, and you know then I started reading through them. 
and there was there was a lot of stuff that was good a good read or at least decent it wasn't the kind of reading that i was used to so it was it was harder um it was like that when i got into x-men too going going back and reading uh from 92 94 right 94 was the relaunch of x-men yeah yeah like going back and reading from giant size in 94 um it was just totally different style of writing so it was slow oh yeah it's you know, so dense how to get used to it but uh yeah i read a bunch and then i i started kind of getting tired of trying to read through all that stuff and that was a point where we were uh really leaning into buying a house so mm-hmm. i started selling uh my vh1 collection and what was cool is because i had complete runs of everything that's how i sold them i wasn't going to sell them as individuals right and like i've already said i always sell stuff for way worse way less than you can get for it so i was making deals with friends selling them whole runs of whatever they wanted for what was a profit for me because i had gotten such good deals on them Plus, I bought a lot of them before the prices started climbing because Valiant started getting noticed more. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's just, it was, it was fun. It was a fun experience collecting all those. It was a fun experience, you know, being able to give people really good deals. Um, and that was that pretty much, you know, and, uh, at that point I kept on going with, uh, with the 2012 Valiant stuff, but I was happy to be done with the old stuff too, you know? So I feel like that's probably where I got my first exposure to you as a listener, was probably around that era. When did you start podcasting about Valiant? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I'm probably I feel not like I remember you talking about the collecting of the VH1 stuff and you selling it. I feel like it was like going on currently while I was listening to the show. Yeah, most likely. Um what got me started with podcasting was uh, Martin was doing like a blog site uh, called Valiant Central. And it was just like collecting Valiant news, basically. Okay. And I was I was collecting these old Valiant books. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to read these, I'm going to read them in publication order. Right. And then I might as well just try to do something different. And I started writing like little blogs about it. And um, Martin stumbled across that probably from like the Valiant Facebook group, I think it was. Valiant fans Facebook group. And so Martin saw that and was like, Hey, do you want to put these on, on my site? I was like, yeah, cool. And then after doing that for a while was when we, um, we decided to start trying to podcast and we ended up doing the podcast for a couple of years, I think, or at least pretty close, if not a full couple of years. Um, yeah, that was like right during the time where I was building up the collection and then right. turned down the collection, you know? So yeah, I, I remember listening along as it, it kind of was going. Yeah. What was the the big controversy? Of course, I don't even remember the name of it now. But it was one of those incentive books that would never get reprinted again. And boy, that was like a hot topic on the show. Oh, gosh, yeah, that was a uh, honestly that's that's what started to tear it down. I think because um, yeah. there was so much negativity around that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Uh. It was the Book of Death books, I think, and it was, it was uh, Book of Death. I just don't remember what the name of the it. Geomancer. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, I'm blanking on it now. But yeah, it was, it was the Geomancer book. It was a four issue book that was only an incent, like a high number incentive to the Book of Death books. Right. If I'm remembering this all right, I think I am. Um, it, it definitely was because you had to, because originally I had pre-ordered it through DCBS and then they backed out of the price they offered. And then I tried to get it through my comic store and she was like, oh, I'll sell it to you for cover price. And she realized how many she was going to have to order, called me like a month out and was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So, yeah, yeah I never I, I never ended up reading it. 
I ended up making a deal with uh, with the local comic shop I was going to because by then we had moved uh, to the apartment we lived in before we bought our house. And I was going to a different comic shop and it was a small comic shop. And like, you know, the, the guy who managed it was always there. Um, he like, I don't know if he co-owned it or if he just like worked with somebody that could pay to reopen the shop to reopen it. Cause it was one that had some history. Okay. Um, but I, I worked with him and I was like, look, it's going to cost you this much. Well, you know, like he, he was transparent with me about some of the stuff. I was like, it's going to cost you this much money to order enough to get this variant for me that I want. Right. So I said, you know, I will buy, um, basically like one of each variant for, from you, like including that one for basically how much it was going to cost him to order enough to get me that, which would leave him a whole bunch of books to sell. And like, you know, normal profit from me, not like the, you know, the crazy profit that he could have got if he could just, afford, you know, if he wanted to do that himself and charge me like actual prices on it. Right. It was still a bigger expense for me because I'm getting all these variants. Um, but it was kind of cool to work out that deal. But even with that, I was getting fed up because people that are supposed to be pro valiant, I'm like, look, I did this cool thing where I actually worked the system how they wanted it to be mm-hmm. to get what I wanted. This is a good thing for, you know, what Valiant's trying to do, yada, yada. And I got people just crap talking me about about doing it. And I got fed up. And it like it, it's not a joke to me to just because you're pissed off about this and don't want to do it or you think this is dumb or whatever to then take shots at me when I'm just diligently trying to do a thing that that is gets me what I want is fair right. to my comic shop and is playing by the rules that were laid out for us, you know, right. So and and would, I think that's important. I like the fact that, you know, you're very clear, like, I'm not screwing over the retailer here. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, if you screw over the retailer, you end up losing the retailer, which they ended <laughs> up, they, that store eventually closed. They yeah. got bought out by another store that opened up uh, that was actually a really cool store. That store eventually closed. You know, it's like, that's kind of the circle of life with this stuff. So it's like, if you want yeah. the, the businesses to stay open, you got to treat them fairly, too, you know? Right. But uh, were yeah, people that, giving you crap on Twitter or like how how are you hearing that people were mad about it? Yeah, it was on Twitter and okay. it was it was friends. That's the thing. And I'm not going to mm. name who it was. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I would never ask that. Yeah, it was it was friends and people that that I you know like and respect. I don't think they really realize like how it was coming off. But it's like sure. especially when like I'm not a I'm not, a, you know, I, I've never had a lot of money to throw around at stuff. Right. So when I'm choosing to invest more into something because I really want it, really care about it, and they have the money to spend and don't want to and just want to piss and moan about it yeah. and then want to make fun of me for doing it, that's where I got pissed off. It's like this is this is a big sacrifice for me to do this. Right. I have a very scant budget for this stuff. So, you know, it's like treat me with respect or or, you know, go to hell basically. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it ended up not being a big deal. Like basically when I called them out and tagged Valiant in it, they backpedaled and realized I was serious when I told them to stop right. it, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just, it was what it was, but I think that's where some of the souring started with Valiant fans. And then it got worse is, you know, of course is like DMG got involved. Right. Um, and it was even before DMG, uh, forced out Dinesh that like, I just, my my love for Valiant was broken before then because sure. it was all getting ran into the ground with uh, with how things were being done. Yeah, and I I can't remember what it was now because it's it's been so long and it was you know like I said I was losing heart by then with it. 
but there was another kind of uh, take advantage of the fans, pro- you know, promotion they did with something that I think mm-hmm. is where things really turned sour. And we were trying to keep the podcast going. And, you know, Martin and I were both losing interest. And, you know, the other things that we were doing with, with uh, comics and podcasting or whatever were also growing. And, you know, family life was getting harder because, our you know, we were dealing with stuff with our son as he went into pre-K and stuff like that. Right. Um, and it just, you know, stuff just all kind of started fizzling. But some of the people we got on to try to, keep the spirit alive we're just getting so negative about it mm. and well, that's, it just, that's never good yeah it just kind of choked the life out of that and then you know valiant started kind of petering off um you know I ne- i've never been one to subscribe to a whole lot of comics because i just can't afford it sure and um you know when valiant started tapering off it's like i stuck with ninja turtles i think i was probably finding some other stuff that i was enjoying reading and kind of trying to lean more into just the like getting what i want to read not what I feel like I have to keep up with. Yeah. Um, FOMO is, I think FOMO hits comic collectors almost as bad as anyone on the planet, because I have been through that so many times where I'm getting a book because I'm worried about missing out. And I, I'm not trying to call out any shows or anything, but shows that talk about, well, you better get on this now because you're not going to be able to afford this book in two years. <laughs> I was buying into that at one point where, and it was, and I had to explain it to my wife because I, I got pretty bad with spending during COVID because there were so many places trying to stay afloat. So there were so many deals out there. And, yeah. and as you know, as a card collector, the market started getting friggin' crazy. Yeah. Where, where I was like, Kristen, if I don't get this book now, I, I won't ever be able to get it. And, of course, that's often the case not true, and sometimes it has been true, but you don't know. But I think with comic fans especially, and maybe card fans too, you do get that FOMO, like, I may not be enjoying Spider-Man right now, but dang it, they just introduced three villains in a row the last arc. (laughs) And those books are super expensive if I wanted them now. And I think... I, I know I that that bug has bitten me really badly before, and so those like I say nothing against those shows who talk about value and what's hot and everything. I can't listen to those anymore because they just get me in trouble and feed a part of me that does not need to come out. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm so glad that I I broke collecting comics. Yeah, and yeah. the the death knell for that was bad idea. Okay, yeah, um, I get that. I wanted to support them because they were kind of everything I loved about Valiant with the creators, with the, you know, unbridled creativity, with the presentation. Sure. The leadership was leadership that was what I perceived to have made Valiant good. But man, the, the hoops that they made people jump through to get stuff. What yeah. was the, the final straw? I, I was, I just jumped all in on everything. I went through all the stuff to get them from the approved shops and all that stuff, which like that stuff's fine. Did you have an approved um, shop close to you? Because no, I, did I had not. to order them. Yeah, I did I had too. To I had to have them so mailed to me. spending extra money on shipping yep, on top of the already very expensive books that I probably liked about 50% of the books, and some of them were just not that great. Agreed. Um, Josh Dysart's book was the one where I had pre-ordered, and then because of the limitations with paper, they made it to where the only way you could get it is if you had done the – um, the pre-order where you like bought the whole package to start with. Okay. So the comic shop I had set up getting them through online, 
I had the first one pre-ordered. I was locked into it. I could not get it. And maybe mm-hmm. the second one even, but at least the first one. That's a freaking $10 comic book plus right. shipping. And then I can't get the rest of the series. And that was, you know what? I'm done. I'm 100% done. This is, I literally stuck around because of this book because I, tr- I believe in Joshua Dysart's writing. Totally. And I believe in the art with this book because of the samples they showed and all that kind of stuff. And that was the one where it's like, I, I, you already have some of my money that I cannot undo this. Right. And you literally will not sell me any more of this. And then, of course, like when you get to that, you cross that bridge. Like, oh, well, you can order it from this shop and that shop. No, screw you. This is done right. because you did this in a way that was disrespectful to fans that took advantage of them and their loyalty. And you just leaned into it. You made a joke out of it. Mm. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But also be, you know, be honest when you're like, yeah, this is just what happened. And yeah, we screwed you. But these are the circumstances, whatever. Like, that's fine. But. You know, that the choices they made, you know, might have been what they had to do to survive. Right. But also, like, I know it, it lost them fans that got fed up with that. I jumped off once the price doubled, basically. So I was yeah. all in, I think, even to the point they were $5 books. But when it was the seven ninety nine and up, I have some of those books thanks to you. But outside of that, I'm like, I'm done. This is, these are getting too pricey, and I, I I hated it. I don't know about you, but whenever I have to stop a pull box at a at a store, I always tell people it's like breaking up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Yeah. I'm like, so um, I have to tell you, I'm not gonna want these comics anymore. And and in that instance, it was definitely the breakup because that was the only thing I was ordering from them because they weren't in town. Yeah. So that's for, never, that's never fun. At least for me, it was easy because I just stopped ordering them. It was a, a very, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, the, I can't remember the company off the top of my head, but their, their system was set up very well for online ordering. Like I, no, I no complaints about that store. They did a good job with customer service. They had a good online ordering system. Was and it most T-Fall? No. Okay. I know you had some T-Fall orders, right? Or am I making that up? I can't remember. There were two okay. different places I ordered from, though, because there was that one book where you had to order them from different places to get the, mm-hmm. the different iterations of it. That, right. And that was that was kind of a cool marketing ploy. That, like that was they did some stuff that was cool, but they did so much stuff that was just an f you to the fans. Yeah, uh, jump through these hoops and we're gonna laugh at you while you do and take your money. And they were blatant about it, in my opinion. Like that's the stuff I got fed up with. It's like if you got to sure. do it, cool. Like I don't have a problem with that, but don't like laugh at us for doing it while you're doing it. And that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much like that, that killed, uh, comics all together for me. Uh, new comics, I should say. Right. Um, I even stopped getting Ninja Turtles, which, uh, and that was, I was starting to lean into like, you know what? I can just get them on Comixology. And right. then I slowly tapered off of that because Comixology has gotten so difficult to use. Um, but I just, they come out with the hardcovers that collect them. And like, I was still getting those. And, um, so I kind of stopped with that. Uh, and that was kind of it for that. So I, I kind of went for a while after that to just back issue collecting and pretty much just the X-Men, uncanny X-Men for, you know, from 94 on was my goal. Right. I was never going to um, get back before that, but I stumbled into a, a reasonable price for 94 and that's what kind of opened that up for me. And I actually collected the whole run from 94 to the end. Um, I didn't get giant size. That was definitely out of my price range. Sure. Um, but I got all of those and then. When I had the opportunity to start going back to college with full tuition coverage, I needed a computer 
And I started selling that collection to buy a computer so I wouldn't uh, have to do it out of other money. Right. And that's what that was the end of my comic collecting right there. Well, and the nice thing with X-Men, you can if you ever want those again, collections aren't that hard of them unless you just really wanted single issues and, or all of it's digital. So exactly. Yeah. You, you can always read it. Read always it. Ways. Yep. And to be honest, like I, I did read a lot of it. Um yep. and I'm you know, I'm glad that I did. I read through uh all through Claremont's first big run. Um I don't know how far I got after that, um, but I read a ton. I honestly will probably never go back and read any of it again because uh that was also there. Like I said, it wasn't that it was bad, but it's definitely much more tedious reading because it's more difficult. Yeah. Uh but it was good and I, I enjoyed it. But I also I'm pretty much done with it. You know, it's like I, I dove in deep and once I got out, I'm it's probably probably done. Um the chain of comics that kind of grew into something else. So like Ninja Turtles led to Usagi Yojimbo. Sure. I had a friend who was a Ninja Turtle fan who I kind of became friends with him through Valiant and then that. Um, and then he kept on telling me about Usagi. So I started reading Usagi and Usagi's just so good. Like you've read that, right? I've read a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so getting into Usagi, uh, opened the door for a couple of different things. Uh, it opened the door for manga. I started reading Lone Wolf and Cub before I really got into manga just because I knew that that was an influence. Okay. And um, then I also started checking out samurai movies, you mm-hmm. know, like the the Criterion Collection, Akira Kurosawa movies and stuff like that, because I knew that was a big influence. Sure. So that thread of, of you know, like everything with comics grew into uh, – it opened the door for manga a little bit. It was after COVID started that I started getting more into manga because I just wanted something different. Right. And I remember I, I did a – I asked on Twitter for suggestions, basically, and I made a, a big list of suggestions. And then I did like brackets and had people vote for the, the options against each other. And that was I fun. remember. Yep. Yeah. And what's funny is, of course, number one was Akira. Number two was Ghost in the Shell. Uh, I still haven't read any Ghost in the Shell, even though I have it. Akira, I bought the big box set. I've read through, I think, two two volumes, maybe three volumes so far. The, one, the ones I actually started with reading were the ones that got knocked out first because they sounded the most interesting. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, the one about King Yo's used books was uh, one of the first ones I read, and uh, that was the Ed. That was the yeah. Ed one, I think. Yeah, Ed actually sent it to me to read, and then I mailed it back to him um, because nice. he couldn't find those. Uh, right. Yeah, they're like out that. of print. I think. Yeah, I, they may have come back in because I actually bought a set of the four books for really cheap. At a uh, Newberry Comics, actually, they they had them on sale. Well, and I know you went through this with me, that but COVID manga was ridiculous. Stuff would go out of print because of paper shortages and because factory stoppages and because overseas shipping and just during COVID, like volumes of even Pluto or something were impossible to find yeah. at times. Yeah, yeah, there were uh, Urusawa. I got really into when I started reading 20th Century Boys, and I yeah. think 20th Century Boys. I stayed just ahead of the curb, uh, curve, and I never had any that I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. But Pluto, there were gaps. Monster, there was gaps. And so I started keeping my eyes out for those. I never did buy any at above cover price. Nice. I was stationed. Good for you. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I haven't yet on manga either. The only exception, I think, there might have been something like I saw a loop in the third that was an old Tokyo pop one time. I think that I might've paid too much for, but in general, yeah, but that was something that's never been reprinted or probably wasn't. 
Well, now they are reprinting them. Hell, you can you can never, <laughs> you can never guess what's gonna get reprinted, especially when it comes to Asian licensing. But yeah, yeah, seriously. So yeah, through through COVID, I got in the habit of if I found a manga that I was really interested in, I would try to track it down and just I would buy the whole run. Yeah. And I have I have so much manga to read. Um, I mean, the stuff that I'm trying to read through right now is kind of the low hanging fruit to read and get rid of because I need to thin down some of my stuff. Right. Um, and you know, as I said, I tend to get really deep into stuff. And then once I kind of get satiated, I kind of settle down or back off. And with manga, uh, I would say that I am happy to read through all the stuff that I have, but I'm getting less interested in trying something new just for the sake of something new, because okay. I have so many things that I'm really excited about that I haven't right. touched yet. Like I've read 20th century boys. I've read Pluto. I haven't read monster yet. I have that whole series. Ooh, monster's I got all really good. Yeah. I'm excited too. I love Urasawa. Um, I have all of Vagabond and I haven't started reading it yet. I have all of A Bride Story and I haven't started reading it yet. Um, I have quite a few instances like that. And then different ones, I just like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll grab it that I have sitting on my bookshelf. So I'm trying to pare stuff down, read through stuff. And, uh, you know, once again, my, my habit of, you know, trying to pass stuff along for really cheap, but to get a few bucks back in my pocket. Um, I'm passing some stuff along to you, some stuff along to Kirk. Um, and it's, man, I just, I, I love it being easy. Like this is so cheap that if you, if you want it, you'll grab it. And if you don't, you won't be interested, you know? Right. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Like I just read all of, uh, Dora Hidoro on your, I still haven't finished it. (laughs) I've got (laughs) it. That's what cracks me up. You get me reading stuff and then I'm the one that finishes it. (laughs) I, I think, I think you're a different kind of rabbit holer than I am. Mine, I'm the kind of, I'm like half rabbit holer, half dog. So the problem is I'll have a, the squirrel thing where I'll, I'll be halfway through something and then I'll, I'll see something shiny and then I'll shoot off on a different tangent. Whereas I think you, you usually make it to the end faster than I do. Yeah. I've learned with myself that if I stop on things, there is a chance I stop long enough that I won't want to go back, that yeah. I just won't want to like, it's been too long for me to pick it back up. But also, I have no desire to to re-explore what I've done. Yeah. Um. So I try to stick with stuff, even if I throw some stuff in in between. Like all, like through Dora Hedoro, I would read. Sometimes I'd binge a few volumes because I get going on it. Yeah. And then I would throw in one thing and then read a volume. And even if I wasn't really feeling it, I'd go back and read that volume to keep me going on it, so I wouldn't lose it. Um. So that's where, like, right now, because I did that with Dora Hedoro, I'm, I'm working on. Uh, Golden Kamui right now. And I had already read a bunch of those online because I had the, the Viz subscription thing. Yep. But those you had to read on the computer and it sucks reading them on the computer. I hate it so much. The definition is awful. Yep. Like on the tablet is fine, but when you have to read on the computer, it's, it's, it's rough. It's hard yeah, to read I, some of the words. I, I, all I can figure is it's got to be something to do with it's, they're trying to keep the Shonen Jump app all ages. Exactly. And, and that That's makes exactly not all is, ages. Yeah. Yeah. Just like when I was reading Chainsaw Man, there was literally one issue yep. that you had to read on the computer because it got just too explicit, just yep. like slightly too explicit sexually. And so they wouldn't put it on there. Um, there's plenty of violence on there, man. Jeez. Oh, I know. But, uh, <laughs> I love that series, though. That was a fun one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it, it uh, you know, Turtles to Usagi opened the door for manga, which started with Lone Wolf and Cub and they kind of branched out from there. Um, I definitely kind of figured out what stuff I like the best. Uh, the stuff that you would, I would be, is like popular manga. Like it can be enjoyable to an extent for me, but I don't like, that's not the stuff that I love, you know, like, sure. uh, 
Naruto or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, to me, it gets starts to get a little tedious because I'm trying to read through it all, and usually they're super super long. They uh, are. Collections. Yeah. Yep. Um, My yeah, son's like, a huge One Piece fan, and I've read a handful of the early ones, and then I jumped off, and then I got back in with uh, the newest arc because they're in basically the equivalent of the samurai era. I was like, Ooh, that sounds really cool. And I know I'm never going to read a thousand chapters of this, but yeah. it's like, Jack, I'm going to jump back in. So if I have questions, you'll have to help me because he's read all of it. <laughs> so that's what I did. I jumped back in with the, the where they're at now. Cause they're in basically feudal Japan and then I've really, I've enjoyed it, but yeah, those series just go on and on. And unless I had a history with it, like Dragon Ball, where I'd, read all of it years ago i just yeah i i don't see myself jumping in into anything that's 70 volumes or something yeah at this point yeah for me pretty much now for the time being uh if urusawa puts out new stuff i'll probably grab it just based off of how much i have enjoyed his work right um there might be a couple other instances of stuff like that that you know if there's something new comes out i might grab it um but for the most part i'm probably just like kind of shutting it down until you know, maybe eventually when I get through what I I have backlogged, I'll think about getting new stuff. But there's just no sense in it when I have as much to read as I do. Same. Um, and I have to tell myself that sometimes, too, when I'm, like, looking at stuff. I'll be like, you really don't need this. You've got shelf upon shelf of stuff to read. You've got shelf upon shelf of stuff to watch. And you work at a library. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I have to talk myself down sometimes. And I'll get books from the library, and I'll bring them home and be like, why did I even get these? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll let them sit there for two weeks and take them back. Be like, well, that was yeah. nice. I felt like I owned them for two weeks that read. I'm like all my other books. Yeah. I do. So. I do the same thing for every five library books. I read half of one, maybe. And, yeah. and usually it's the book club book. Uh, <laughs> and if I'm doing good, I'll finish the book club book. <laughs> when I'm not doing good, I read half. Of yeah. It. Yeah. Pretty much like right now with me, with, with life, I, I'm going to school half yep. time, but that takes a lot. The classes are very fast paced with how the, the school I go to is structured They're You're only taking one class at a time going halftime, but it's twice as fast. Right. Um, so I like I, that's going to be for another like year and a half. So you're basically uh, on summer sessions. You're the entire time. Basically. Yeah. 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 They're they're normally eight week sessions. Summer's actually a six week session. So like I took one summer class right. and it was like here and gone before you even knew it. Right. Um, which is nice, too, because you only have to kind of. If a class sucks, you just have to buckle down for so long. But That's um, good. it's like that takes time. And then the other big change is a year ago, I started CrossFit and focusing on on exercise and, and developing my health is is the number one hobby I have. You know that supersedes everything else and it takes a lot of time. Right. You know, I I go to um, to CrossFit usually uh, three or four times a week which is an hour class there, but then the time to drive there and drive home or it's, it's right by my work. So if I go right after work, it's taking a little less extra time. Um, but then other things like trying to get better at running because I'm trying to improve my heart and get my heart rate down when I exercise so I can do more. Um, but that just like the last year has been life changing for me with that. And I just I recognize that I was having all these health problems that I can't control and that I needed to control as much as I could with my health if I was sure. going to be healthy getting older, you know. Yeah, so I know you've what, had a lot of food issues. Uh, yeah. 
And if I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, I have a dairy problem, basically. I can't – if I do dairy, I'm going to be sick. So, you know, you have to go like, okay, you can have this mac and cheese, and uh, you're going to be sick tomorrow. Is it worth it? You know, those are the kind of yeah. decisions that I have to make. The, the family's stopping for ice cream. Is it worth it? And I'm going some yeah. days I will, and some days I'm like, no, I'm not doing it's it. It's like that with me with about everything. Like, everything yeah, is a risk. Everything yeah. is a gamble. We go to a restaurant, it's like, you know, is there going to be something I don't know in an ingredient? Or, like, today we went to a restaurant, and, you know, my son got fries, and they were seasoned fries. And I don't know why, but we go to this one restaurant, and for some reason I can't help myself but eat some of his fries. <laughs> and I know they're, it's going to make me feel bad. And it's like, without a doubt, it's going to. But, you know, it's like you can't always not have anything. Right. If all it's going to do is kind of make you feel bad, there's a big difference between that and making you, you know, more severely sick. Right. But then the problem with me is all that stuff adds up and it'll, it'll knock me down pretty hard sometimes. But, but yeah, so like until, until I'm done with school, time is a lot tied up. Like when I'm out of school, like I am right now, I, I tend to be able to read more, watch more movies. Um, and then like with movies, I'm, I stick mostly to, uh, getting, and I have enough. I don't need to get any more for a while either. But um, Criterion movies, where it's like it's yeah. stuff that I've never watched before, that's different than just the run of the mill stuff. You know, than the stuff I grew up watching. Like I, I, I've never been one to go back and redo things, reread, rewatch, very often at all. There's very few books I can say that I've reread. Uh, I've reread A Hundred Years of Solitude more than any other book in my life. Okay. Um, I've read that three times. Um, it's very rare that I reread a book, including comics. Um, a lot of times I'll be like, oh, this is a good idea. And then it'll just drive me nuts because it's, it takes a long, long time for me to not remember enough to just be like, this is not engaging to me because I already know it, you know? Yeah. Um, movies can be a little bit easier, but like trying to rewatch movies that I've watched over the last like couple decades, like for the most part, either my tastes have changed or I just realized they weren't as good as they were when it was fresh, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool going back and watching old movies. I just watched uh actually the one <laughs> the one I just put in the mail to you, uh Hard Day's Night, which I bought because my son loves music. Okay. And uh he was really intrigued by the Beatles for a moment. It was when they were having a criterion sale. I was like, "What the heck? I'll get this." And we never watched it. So I finally watched it and it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah, watching it. Yeah, it's silly. It's fun. Yeah. I know yeah. I'll never watch it again. And right. I don't love the Beatles enough to want to keep it, you know? So it's like, all right, I'll enjoy it and then pass it on to somebody else for even cheap, you know, cheaper. So, um, but before that, I watched, uh, uh, oh gosh, well, now I'm going to blank what it's called. I watched uh, a Japanese movie. I'll just leave it at that because I can't remember what it was called all of a sudden. Was it one of the ones you had just picked up? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember what it was now either. I might be able to tell me about it and I'll see if I can find it real quick. Um, it's the one that, uh, the, the, uh, Taisho trilogy was by the same director. Right. Uh, is Born to Kill or Bread to Kill or something like that. Um, but it's about a, a like an assassin basically. Um, branded to Kill. Branded to Kill. There we go. Yeah. Yep. So that that movie I got because uh, the cover looked interesting. That drew me, and then I read the back of it, and it sounded really interesting. And I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was different. It was like nothing I've ever watched. It was much more artsy of a movie than I've watched. Like, uh, like Joshua Dysart said, cause I, I always tweet him about Criterion movies when I really like them. Yeah. Um, he said that that was the movie that showed him that style can be substance. And that's pretty dead on with it. I really enjoyed that one. So I was excited when I got the 
uh, Tai Show trilogy in the mail to see that it was the same director. And that's um, uh, Arrow. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, got that from the Arrow sale for ten bucks. Yeah, me and you uh, and Nick, I, I feel like we're all on that Arrow sale all about the same time, and we're like, oh, what are you getting? What are you getting? What are you getting? Because yeah. that that <laughs> that has been a new thing for me. I don't know when I got back into buying Blu-rays again. It's been within the last nine to ten months, I feel like. And and that's why I've had to have a reality check partially with my comic collecting is I can't afford to do both. I kind of went through this with you when when we were into that sports card bubble where I was like, oh, maybe I can get into sports cards again. This is fun. And then I realized this is really hard to track stuff down. And when I'm find it online sometimes it's more money than i want to spend and i got out of sports cards pretty quick yeah but but getting back into blu-rays has been a lot of fun and i've been revisiting some stuff i didn't think i would necessarily revisit i'm discovering jackie uh rediscovering like jackie chan movies with jack that has been really cool uh you watched both the police stories recently right I, th- I think I still have to watch Police Story 2, but I have this okay. set. I watched Police Story yep. 1. I might have watched Police Story 2. Sometimes I forget until I put it on. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's one that I've gotten. Uh, I've gotten some other Jackie Chan DVD sets. I got uh, the Bruce Lee set. And look, that stuff, like, I had watched some Jackie Chan when, like, his movies were getting popular in America for a while. Right. Like, I remember seeing, like, uh, not Rumble in the, the Bronx because I was too young to then watch a rated R movie. But uh, Operation Condor is, sure. uh, is one. And being like, why the heck is this subtitle? This is weird, you know? Yep. And meanwhile, uh, you know, uh, like the ones you did with Chris Rock were coming out and stuff like that. Rush Hour. Um, yep. Yeah, Rush Hour, Shanghai Noon, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, so it's like I hadn't been familiar with a lot of his other stuff. And uh, one of the things I like about watching a lot of these uh, foreign films, and, like, I, I found myself definitely particularly drawn to Asian films. I think that comes from, you know, like I said, the, you know, Usagi Ojimbo, watching the things that influenced that and then kind of right. spreading out from there. Um, but I've spread from, you know, just being Japanese movies to, you know, Chinese and Hong Kong and, um, you know, Korean and different stuff like that. Um, and it's because it's subtitled, you have to stop and pay more attention. You can't just put throw a movie on and not really pay attention to it, which sometimes you want to do that. and That's a good thing. But sometimes, you know, it's nice to have something that forces you to stop. Um, and so yeah. when, when you watch police story, do you watch it, uh, in Chinese or do you, or it's probably Cantonese or is it Mandarin? I think it was probably originally dubbed in Cantonese. Uh, or, uh, do you watch that in English or do you watch it in Cantonese or Mandarin? I always watch it in, in the original language with subtitles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jack, when we sat down to watch police story, he's like, can we watch it dubbed? I was like, of course we can watch it, Doug. That's how <laughs> that's how I experienced uh, most of the Asian cinema I consumed up until you know the two thousands. So you know, Godzilla movies. I was a huge fan at one point. I think I had everything that you could own of Godzilla. It's one of those things, kind of like your stories, where I'm moving. I have no money. Bye bye Godzilla sets. You know. Yeah. Um, but he he watched it with me and it was it was so cool to watch Jackie Chan with someone who is for the most part only seen CG stunts or stunts done by a double yeah cuz he would watch like you know police story they have the the hard break on that 
bus where the guy goes, I don't know how I didn't kill the guy, goes headfirst into the pavement off the top of the the, uh, the bus. Yeah. He's like, is that real? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's real. And so one of the best parts is the after the the movie and the credits when they show yes. all the injuries of Jackie Chan. Yes, and I was I was showing him that, and I was like, you know, I don't know if you saw that I read this recently. It's a great book, Last Action Heroes, and it goes into that '80s era and a little bit of the late '70s era of you know, basically the people who would become superstars in the '80s and who would end up in the Expendables films. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was Van Damme and. Seagal and Stallone and Jackie and all these different actors from the 80s. And I remember reading about Police Story, that scene where he goes down the string of lights. And I was telling this to Jack because I was reading this book as we're watching the movie. And, like, he almost gets electrocuted, A. And, B, like, all the skin off his hands came off in that scene. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, and it's and and it, and obviously Jackie was proud of that stunt because I think when you're watching it, it shows it in replay two times after the initial uh, <laughs> sliding down the the string of lights. And yeah, it was really cool to see his reaction to stunts that were really done by the actors and actresses. Like you would see, like as you're saying in the outtakes, like Maggie Chung, who is you know not necessarily a stunt actor. Do he would show her how to do the stunts, and you know sometimes she got hurt. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Michelle Yeoh and Super Cop. Have you seen it yet? Uh, I need to watch that one again. Okay. I know I've yeah. seen that in the past, but I, I don't remember when. And also, I might be remembering it wrong because I do that too. But same uh, thing. It shows she did a lot of her stunts as well. So yeah, and I got uh, the In the Line of Duty box set. There's four movies, and Michelle Yeoh is in two of them. Nice. Um, so I got that. Um, it came out and kind of caught my eye, and then uh, Josh Dysart chimed in that uh, the fourth one has the best action sequence in any movie ever. So I was like, all right, I guess we got to get this. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like watching watching those kind of movies, I think part of it is watching one watching older movies. You know that they have to do things in a different way. They're more limited with resources. They have right. to be more creative. And watching, you know, being able to watch before, like I mean, freaking Kurosawa movies, watching you know Seven Samurai or something. Uh, and that's an easy one, but there's so many examples of, uh, Mifune in his movies, uh, that just the, the acting is so good and so easy to overlook that when it's a different language, it's black and white, it's old, it's not, it doesn't feel anything like what you're used to. Right. And it's similar, it's different, but similar to reading those, uh, old Chris Claremont X-Men comics and developing mm-hmm. an appreciation for the art because of the limitation when you're, you know, Looking at, I don't know, John Byrne art, for example. There's so many great artists during that run. Um, and they just, they have to do stuff in a different way to make it appealing and with the limited resources they have and the printing techniques that they have. Right. You know, and that's where when you get to the nineties, the, I think what kind of ruined comic art for me, like having as an adult gone back and looked at it all is that in the nineties stuff got too crisp mm-hmm. and they didn't, they didn't use stuff to its maximum. They hadn't figured it out yet. So, like, every time they had an advancement in what they could do with stuff, they used it minimally so it looked like crap. And then eventually they had to keep on pushing it because you got to try to be better than everybody else, right? Right. And then stuff develops and develops. But, um, you know, watching old movies, like, you know, you have those aspects, like I said, of if you're watching it with subtitles, you got to really pay attention. Yeah. Paying attention, you see a lot more. And and to me, that's really cool to, like, slow down. That's been one of my – 
one of the things I've tried to lean into in the last, I don't know how many years, we'll just say five for an easy number, but you know, long, long enough to be substantial, but also short enough to not be forever. Um, trying to lean into things that you have to slow down to enjoy, you know, like it's easy to listen to music on Spotify, but you end up either listening to nothing in particular or the same thing over and over really easily. Oh yeah. Spotify can figure you out pretty quickly and basically only feed you the same thing over and over if you let it. Yeah. Yeah. So then rather than do that, like I still have a, my truck is old and it has a cassette player. I have a box full of cassettes. You've actually, I think, hooked me up with some in the past. Yep. And so I'll, I'll throw cassettes in because guess what? I'm not fast forwarding while I'm driving, rewinding right. while I'm driving, trying to find the song. I'm just playing it. Um, introducing my son to records. Um, I had briefly, my mom got me a, a cheap record player just on a whim and, you know, I had ordered it and it, it got sent to me. So I started picking up some records and, uh, I kind of realized that I, w- I didn't really want to dive into that. Plus it was a crappy record player. And as I started researching a little bit, I, you know, learned that crappy record players can just destroy your records. They can. Yep. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to get out of this. I, I just got rid of all of it. I traded everything in. Um, and with how my son's gotten into music, I started thinking about records again. The big thing, though, was th- this is what got me to do it. De La Soul's music mm-hmm. was unavailable for a very, very long time because right. when streaming music became like the way of music, the contracts they made to clear samples in their albums didn't apply. Right. So Tommy Boy basically shelved their whole catalog of what they had done with Tommy Boy, which was their... Their first four albums, at least. Those were the four that I was the most concerned about. Right. And so I, I went after years of just life taking me away from being able to focus on something like, oh, man, I want to listen to De La Soul. Well, wait, they're not on Spotify? All right, I'll, I'll buy their albums again. Because I had them in California, but we like sold everything. Mm-hmm. Can't find them anywhere because they're not being printed. So you can't get it. So, you know, I watched for years as they're fighting this battle to try to get their music out there. And I said, as soon as... Like if I ever get the opportunity to buy their music again, I'm gonna buy it on record and on CD. So with them re-releasing it, I've gotten the first four albums on vinyl, and I've I also bought them on CD because you know I said I'm I'm never gonna lose the ability to listen to their music again. Right. So that's kind of what opened the door for records for me. And then through COVID, there was a year where I got really into the Beastie Boys, and a lot of that was because they had the documentary they did that was on Apple TV, and when I watched that, really learned a lot more about them. Right. And saw the uh, the artistry that's easy to miss when a band is mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, like the people they were, you know, the, the people they grew into being um, impressed me. Right. Um, so, like, I, I've, I really got into them. So I ended up getting uh, the first four De La Soul records, which are the ones they put out so far. And I've gotten most of the Beastie Boys albums on record. So, like, that's kind of what I have. And then my son has a couple. We got a couple for his birthday. Um but, uh, yeah, so I just got the record player, and it's just so cool to see him just be, like, mesmerized by the experience. The The day after we got it, I was at work, and my wife texted me a picture. He was sitting by it. He had a – she let him get a Pearl Jam album. He loves Pearl Jam. I, I was just about to ask what his favorite <laughs> band was. Okay. Pearl Jam is up there. Like, he keeps on kind of really getting into a new band, and then he realizes that, like, maybe who was his favorite – he really mm-hmm. likes them, but maybe they're not his favorite. I think Pearl Jam is probably still number one, though. Nice. Um, but he got Pearl Jam's 10 on vinyl because uh, she took him to Target to pick out a record for me for my birthday. 
And he saw that and begged for it. And she texted me. I said, go ahead and get it for him. Sure. So um, he got that. And so she texted me a picture of him the next day when I'm at work. And uh, he's listening to the album. But she he told her, this is our second day of owning a record player. He's just like, it's so monumental to him right. that it's like, it's not just like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to use it. But like, this is the second day of this existing. This is the second day of this stage of our lives, you know? Right. And that's just so cool to me, you know? So that's kind of been something I've tried to focus on is, is slowing down and reading stuff differently. Um, I got into digital comics for a while until Comixology got ruined by Amazon, basically. Yeah. Um, even with that, it's like, I would rather just read it physically, uh, if I can. Um, you the know, only time I really liked reading it digitally thing. for me would be a convenience thing, and that's yeah. it. Like if I I would read sometimes on the treadmill, uh, and that would be one of the few times I was really using the digital platforms. Other than like, okay, I'm on my phone, I'm bored, I can read a comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so trying to trying to make those changes, but. I think that we're probably getting close to having to wrap this up, though. And, uh, we are. So we're going to have to do a stage two and talk about some other stuff down the road. We will we'll do a stage two. I do want to ask you real quick, because I always like to gauge kind of where someone's head is at for something. So if you had a Mount Rushmore, because the other thing we were going to try to get to and we ran out of time is, is wrestling. Mm-hmm. If you have a Mount Rushmore of wrestlers, and I don't even know what mine would be. I know in the past what it would have been. Who's your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers? And I want to just, I want to know who your favorites are real quick. That's a good, that's a, always a fun question. Um, the one that I know without a doubt is on there is Brett the Hitman Hart. He's my I favorite. I knew you were going to say that one. My favorite. Yep. Um, I have a tattoo on my leg that is, uh, is an honor of him. Um, that goes beyond, with getting the tattoos I've gotten, I try to not get any that are about, that are for a specific person because people are fallible. Sure. I got his because what he represented, it's not just him as a person, but the excellence of execution thing. It's about doing things the right way. Right. Helping others do things to the best that they can, making other people be able to do their best, you know? So to me, there's a lot more to that than just Brett the Hitman Hart as a person, you know? Yep. But he's he's definitely on there, number one. Um, right now, my favorite wrestler uh, of, like, active wrestler of all time is is Brian Danielson. Okay. Um, love him. Uh, he was what kept me watching wrestling when he was in WWE. When I first got back into it, I was starting to be like, this is getting a little boring now. Yep. That was when he and CM Punk started catching fire. Mm-hmm. So they were like the two reasons for a long time that I kept watching wrestling. And when they both kind of faded away because of Danielson's injuries and CM Punk just disappearing, right. um, I almost like I was getting to the point of almost being ready to stop again. And then something else kind of came along that caught my interest. Right. Um, so those those are two of them for as far as like all time and uh, active all time. And then beyond that, it gets hard. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a couple uh so, like, one old-school one I would think of that I love watching is uh, the Steiner Brothers. Like, when I think about okay. tag teams, like, I yep. love the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, but the Steiner Brothers, to me, are my all-time favorite tag team because they were so good at what they did. And they were they hard-hitting, They innovated man. stuff. They were hard, yeah, they were hard-hitting. They were legit wrestlers, but they were strong yep. as hell. I mean, Scott Steiner doing the Frankensteiner, that was, like, a mind-blowing move back in the yeah. day. And, like, you don't see people do Frankensteiners anymore, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, if anybody did, it would stand out because it's a little bit different than Hurricane Rana's yep. uh, that just get thrown around real easy. But um, 
So yeah, they were Steiner brothers are probably my favorite tag team of all time. Um, Sting, I think is the biggest icon left in wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you could definitely argue him in there. Um, and then, uh, the other tag, like modern tag team, my favorite modern tag team is FTR. Okay. Um, and they, you know, they were in WWE as the revival, yep. uh, and then they've been in AEW as uh, FTR. And the whole time, the way they go about it is just like what Bret Hart did, trying to be the best that, that they could make anybody they wrestle the best they could be. And um, they just had a match actually on Saturday, a two out of three falls match with uh, Switchblade Jay White and uh, Juice Robinson, a couple of guys that, uh, that came to AEW from New Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It was amazing. It was a, about an hour long match and it was just so good. Um, so yeah, so like those, those are a few I throw out there. The, if I was going to say who should actually be like immortalized in a rocket, I'd have to think about it a little bit differently, but. Hey, there's think, always a Teddy Roosevelt that you go like, why is Teddy Roosevelt up there? So I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, where can people reach you if they want to chat at you? Uh, Twitter is the best for that. Just at who's Paul, W H O S P A U L. Um, that's pretty much the only place I chit chat with anybody and it may have kind of gone to hell over the last, uh, however long, but <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, I feel like you're still a presence. Yeah, yeah. Anytime me or Nick, uh, have something to ask about, it usually, usually pop, uh, pipe in. So, but, uh, if you want to reach out to the show, we're uh 21st century boys and Twitter, that's two one S T C E M B O Y S. And I'm Iowa's Joe, uh, on Twitter. I'm not going to spell Iowa. People, you should know how to spell Iowa by now. Anyway, Paul, thanks for joining me tonight. It was great to learn a little bit more about you and get to chat with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. I look forward to being back and digging more into movies and wrestling. Oh, and happy birthday, even though that dates the show, but I don't care. <laughs> it could be perpetually be my birthday. There you go. Send All presents right. too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody.